Good morning. Church, I'm going to need your prayers this morning. I need your prayers every day, but especially this morning. I've been fighting a sickness, cold, and, and I've been congested, and I've been losing my voice on and off. And uh, I, So if I avoided you this morning, it's not because I don't love you anymore. I just didn't want to pass out anything. If I did shake your hand, know that I've lathered myself up in sand sanitizer before I ever came towards you. Uh, and if I disappear after the service, that's the same reason. But I wanted to, and I, I called Doug yesterday. I was just kept feeling worse, and I called Doug yesterday, and I had him have something prepared this morning, and I appreciate having somebody in the church that can step up and is always willing, and he said, absolutely, I'll, I'll have something ready. But I wanted to finish up this series this morning. I have enjoyed this Christmas sermon series uh, tremendously, and I wanted to wrap it up this morning, so pray that I keep my voice I'm all hopped up on, uh, I hope it's Dayquil. If it's Nyquil, it'll be a really short sermon this morning. And uh, the uh, title of the sermon, this is the fifth part, the final sermon in this series, The Christmas Miracle. And the title of this sermon is Wrappings. Wrappings. Nothing uh, theologically impressive about that. I'm simply going to wrap everything up in this one sermon, and I'm going to do it with one verse. I, I, I got to look through the Bible, and I said, I'm going to wrap this series up. I want one verse that can wrap up everything that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, in the last four sermon series. I, I want to wrap up everything into one verse, and I, I came up with the verse. The Lord showed me exactly what verse wraps everything up. But let's talk about what we are wrapping up. The first part of this Christmas miracle series was, what do you want for Christmas? We talked about the wise men, the magi, and we don't know very much about them at all. They come into the picture, and they leave just as quick. We don't know if there were three or 300. What we do know is they were seeking Jesus Christ. And that's what we are to remember about this part of the season, seeking Jesus Christ, because that's what the world, the world this time of year is seeking Jesus Christ, and this is the best opportunity we have all year to point people to Jesus because they are seeking. And we notice that the wise men were seeking Jesus, and they knew that he was the king. They went to Herod, and they said, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? We know that they believed he was the Messiah because of the gifts that they brought. They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold gift for a king. Frankincense was a a sense, a fragrance that you used in worship, an incense for worship. And the third, myrrh, is an anointing for burial. So they knew the king would be born. They knew the king was to be worshipped. They knew the king would die. They were seeking Jesus. What do you want for Christmas was the first one. We want to seek Jesus Christ. Part two was... When Christmas plans get messed up. And this turned out to be my favorite one of the entire series because I never thought about it. I always thought about the, the Christmas story and I read it a thousand times and, and seen it played out a thousand times. I never saw it from the perspective that Mary and Joseph's plans really got messed up. A young married couple going to have a family. They had plans and all of a sudden everything just falls 
What do you do when God shows up and changes your plans? I remember growing, I had big plans growing up. I never wanted to go to college, never needed, I thought, college. My dad owned a construction company, and, and I worked that kind of job all my life. And I said, well, I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to work with dad, and then I'm going to take over the company, and I'll start a family and, and build a home and, and start my empire in Lawton, Oklahoma. And uh, when I was 18, I graduated from high school. When I was 17, I was working with dad. Everything was kind of lining up. Everything was looking pretty good. And God said, no. I want you somewhere else. He said, there, there's only one woman on the face of the earth that will be able to deal with you. And she is not in Oklahoma. She is in Kentucky. I, I, and this is why I, you can tell it in college. I didn't know where Kentucky was on the map. I never heard of Kentucky. And within six months of getting to know her, within three months of meeting her, I moved a 1,000 miles away from home. God, I had plans, and you messed it all up. And so I moved a 1,000 miles away from home. Didn't know anybody but her. I had a few friends, and I made friends really quickly. And, and uh, we, not long after, uh, uh, almost a year exactly after we met, we were married. We started a family together. And we had plans. Uh, we were going to have kids. And we were married a few years before we had kids. We was going to have kids. And I wanted a boy. I said, God, I want a boy. We found out we were pregnant. I said, I want a boy. And we found out it was a boy. And I was so excited. And uh, probably three months before we were, we were working in youth ministry, and, and I loved that, and our youth group was growing, and, and, and we had plans. We were going to start a family. We were going to start a great youth ministry. And about three months before Mitchell, my first, was born, God called me to preach. I said, that ain't in my plans. I am going to be a youth leader the rest of my life. I love this. And God said, yeah, but that season of your life is over. I've got plans for you. And after about six months of fighting God, I finally said, all right, whatever. Whatever you want me to do. And he called me to preach. And I announced my calling to preach on August 1st, 1999. On October the 6th, 1999, Mitchell was born. And, and uh, just healthy. That child was big. He was 9 pounds, 13 ounces, and, and he was just just big and just happy and content. I've told all these stories, and, and, and we wanted another child. I said, God, this time I want a girl. Not a boy, I want a girl. And we found out we were having Haley. And our family was growing, and everything was going good. And we just, life was great. We had plans. And every young preacher wants to be a pastor. Or most every young preacher wants to be a pastor. And I inspired, I wanted to be a pastor, and we was going to pastor this church. I had my nice little family, these two kids. Sorry, Emma, but we didn't want any more than two kids. And uh, Lori had problems with the pregnancy uh, both times. And I said, let's, I used to get in trouble for this, and I probably still will. I said, let's get you fixed, and then uh, we won't have to worry about that. She said, no, in about five years, we may want to have another kid. I said, all right, you don't, don't argue with, with her. I know my limits. And uh, everything was going good. We had to. The two kids, and they were growing, and they were great kids, and just we were having a good time, and I got a, a, a good job, 
and I was working shift work, but it was, it was all right because it was a good job, and it was, I was been able to take care of my family. We bought our first home, and we had plans. We were building these plans. And then when Mitchell was three years old, I sat across from a doctor who told me, your three-year-old son has leukemia, and he's eat up with it. If he makes it through the night, he has a fighting chance. And all my plans came crashing down. I had plans for this boy, the sports that he was going to play, the crazy things I was going to tell his kids. I had plans. I knew God had called him to do something special. And here I am, hearing these words. My plans all changed. Eight days later, I got a call from the doctor, and the doctor said, your son is cancer-free. And things were good again. Mitchell was getting healthy, and he was done with his treatments, and he, it was all good, and, and everything was going great. And uh, Lori had decided, no more kids. Sorry, Emma. No more kids. Because we had plans. We had the perfect little family. We had two kids that were great kids, and God had healed Mitchell, and he had great things for, planned for Mitchell. And uh, we were going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. I was going to celebrate 10 years that somebody could possibly put up with me. And so I said, we're going to do something special. And so we put a down payment on an uh, all-inclusive resort in somewhere in Mexico. And I sent them a bunch of money, and we had, had plans. We were going to fly there, and we were going with some friends of ours. We got married the same month. We had plans. And then two or three months before we were going to go, we found out Emma was coming along. We also found out that Lori couldn't fly while she was pregnant, so... I kissed all that money goodbye, and it was a pretty good exchange because Emma's turned out to be a pretty good kid. And my chains, my plans were changed. I had these big plans. And then God moved us into a house. We were right next to uh, my mother and father-in-law lived right down the hill, and they are great people. I love them to death. And so we could pawn the kids off on them anytime we wanted to, and, and they took good care of us, and she was an outstanding cook. And, and Lori's grandmother lived right down there too and she was an outstanding cook and life was good and we had plans and I was going to pastor a church and we were good. God said, you're moving to Alabama. Now, I'm from here. Always loved Alabama. Always loved coming and visiting. I never ever thought I would move here. It was never part of my plans. I said, God, that's 800 miles away and I got a good job at a steel mill. I'm making good money. He said, that's fine, but that ain't where I want you. And my, my, plan my plans were changed, and we moved, picked up everything we had, and we packed up, and we moved to Alabama. On the way here, I had already interviewed for a good job at a steel mill, and, and that was, she told me, she said, it's, all, it's only a formality. You got the job. Come on down. So we found a house down here to rent, and, and Lloyd already got her job. We packed up every belonging we had in a moving truck. We came on to Alabama. We crossed the Tennessee line. Around lunchtime, we stopped to get something to eat. Everybody went inside to eat. I got a phone call from the steel mill I was supposed to work at. And I answered the phone, and she said, I'm sorry to tell you, but there is a freeze on hiring. We're not hiring anybody else. The lady that you went through all this process with is no longer with us. We've thrown out all the applications. Feel free to apply again. And I had to turn and face my family, with all my personal belongings, all of, our, all of our world packed up in this moving truck and 
tell them, I'm not going to have a job when we get to where we're going. My plans were changed. We went ahead and moved, and I stayed at the steel mill in Kentucky for three more months till I found another job. God provided that job, and I come down here, and we found a church to go to, and we loved the church, we loved the people, and my job was going good, and I said, all right, I'm finally starting. Things are coming into focus, and God said, that's not where I want you, and he moved us to a different church. We got involved in that church and started teaching the Sunday school, and I was preaching at different places, and I said, all right, I'm, I'm, everything's coming into focus. This, this is, and as our joke every year in January, me and Lori said, all right, this is our year, because our plans keep getting changed, and God keeps stepping in and, and making chaos, and she said, all right, this, this is our year. We got involved in that church. We fell in love with the people. God said, all right, that's not where I want you. And he moved us to another church. The kids joke now. I said, I'm not going to get involved with anybody at any church because we don't stay in the church longer than two years. I'm not going to bother getting anybody's name right. And God just kept moving us around. My plans just kept getting changed. And then in, in uh, first of the year, and I've told this before, I told God, I said, I don't want to. I don't want to pastor. My plans have changed, God. I get it. I don't need to pastor. I don't want to pastor. I just want to go everywhere I can and preach everywhere. I want to preach at a different church every Sunday. January of this year, I started that. That church is calling me, and I was going all over. I preached at a different church every Sunday morning for four months. I was preaching so much that I had to fill out a visitor card every time I went back to my home church. And, and at the end of that four months, I said, God, this is exhausting. I'm not getting connected with anybody. I'm not growing any. And then Oasis called and said they needed a pastor. And I'd been here on and off for the last five years. And my plans change time and time again but I am happier now where God wants me than I ever would have been had I stayed in Oklahoma and built my empire and I've got to the point where God whatever wherever Whenever. You need to change my plans because you know the end game. You know how this life, he knew, he knew when I was born just down the road from here, 43 years ago, that I would be in Oklahoma, Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, and then back to just a few miles where I was born. What do you do when your plans get messed up? God, whatever, whenever, wherever. Then we talked about the best Christmas gift ever. And uh, this was the gift that we got the first Christmas morning, the gift of Jesus. And we talked about last week this was a gift of grace, something that can't be repaid, something that can't be measured, something can ever put a price on, the greatest gift and this was a gift of grace. And I didn't tell this story last week, but I can't ever think of grace without telling the story of 
how God showed me what grace truly was. And uh, I grew up in a church where you could live a perfect life. They expected you to live a perfect life. And I was absolutely miserable. I got saved when I was 12 years old, but I was never happy about it because I never could live a perfect, sinless life. I kept messing up. I kept falling. I kept having hard times. I kept being tempted and giving in to temptation. And I was miserable because I never understood what grace was. I never could grasp what grace was. And I struggled with that all my life. I got up into my late teens and my early 20s, and I began to read about grace, but I never could get a grasp on it. I began to preach, and I never preached about grace because I couldn't really comprehend what grace was until God showed me. And it was on a, uh, it was on a Sunday morning. I was a young preacher. I hadn't been preaching just a, a couple of years. Uh, but at that point, probably five years or so. And we were going to a church that ran about 300 people. And the pastor called me first of the week, and he said, I want you to preach Sunday morning. That's huge. That's huge for a young preacher to preach in front of 300 people on a Sunday morning. That's the big crowd. That's a big church. And uh, I said, sure, I'd love to. And so I began to pray and prepare my sermon for the week. And I had, had it all outlined, had it, all. And what I do, uh, and I still do this today, I get a sermon, God's given me a sermon, and I'll, I'll lay out the points of the things I want to say, and then I'll preach it several times throughout the week, just to myself. I Usually back in the day, I'd, I'd walk through my kitchen, and I would preach this sermon. I had this outline, and this Sunday morning was no different. In fact, it was, it was huge, because that was big church. And uh, I was preaching this sermon, and it was, oh, you should have heard it. It was an amazing sermon. And uh, I had, I mean, I had all my illustrations down. I had all my points down. I was, I was going at it. And I was preaching this sermon. And uh, the kids were just little. Emma hadn't come along yet. And uh, the kids were little. And what we did when we got them ready on Sunday morning is we divide and conquer. We'd get Mitchell and we'd get him dressed. And we'd sit him on the couch and say, don't move. And then we'd get Haley. And she'd put on this big frilly dress because she loved these big, huge frilly dresses. And we'd get her dressed and we'd sit her on the couch and say, don't move. So they were in there, and they were watching cartoons, and they were ready for church. We were good, and Lori was upstairs getting ready. I was walking around the kitchen preaching my sermon. And uh, Haley come in. She said, Daddy, I'm hungry. I said, all right, I'm going to cook you some breakfast. So I made her a bowl of cereal. Don't judge me. That's the way I cook. And uh, I made her a bowl of cereal. And Haley, poor thing, she's clumsy as all get out. Her, her nickname is Bubble Wrap. And uh, she's, just, she's just clumsy. And I said, I said, here, now you sit down here on the couch. And I put it on the little TV tray. And I said, don't spill it. I made her a bowl of cereal. And I set it down there. And I went on back in the kitchen. And I went back to prepare my sermon. And I, I remember thinking, God, I don't need these kind of distractions. I got to preach in a little bit. And I went back to preaching. And I heard the bowl hit the floor. And I heard Haley scream. And I heard Mitchell tattling on her and I ran in there and sure enough she had dumped that bowl of cereal all over the couch and all over the carpet I grabbed it up as best I could and threw a towel on it cleaned it up and I got her and I whooped her behind and I said Haley I told you to not spill that and I set her down on the couch and I said don't move I got done cleaning it up and I went back in the kitchen and I picked up my Bible and my notes and I said God I, I got time for this I got to preach in big church today don't you know what big church is? By the way, God knows what big church is. 
And uh, so I went back through my sermon notes, and I got it, everything kind of the way I wanted. And I said, I'm getting kind of hungry, so I'm going to make me a bowl of cereal. So I get out the cereal, and I get out the bowl, and I pour it up. And I reach in the refrigerator to get the jug of milk. And you all know what's going to happen. I drop the entire jug of milk, and it hits every shelf on the way down. And it hits the floor, and it explodes. So I got another half gallon in there, and I grab it, and I open the lid, and I get this, and I take it over to the sink, and I'm trying to save what I can out of this milk. I put it on, and I've got milk all over me. And I say, God, I ain't got time for this. Remember big church. And I turn around. When I turn around, God showed me what grace was. When I turn around, I look at where the big mess is. And I see Haley, little old Haley, in that big, frilly, brand-new dress. She's got a towel, and she's on her hands and knees. She's cleaning up my mess. And I felt about that small. And God spoke to me right then. He said, that's what grace is, because you don't deserve that. You could never earn that. I picked her up, and I hugged her, told her I loved her, set her on the couch, and I went in there, and I cleaned up the rest of that mess. I got that sermon that was a, an amazing sermon. I had it all laid out, worked on it all week, and I got it, and I wadded it up, and I threw it in the trash. And I went to big church that morning, and I preached on the grace of God. The greatest gift ever given was the first Christmas gift, the gift of grace. Then part four was, "Twas the day after Christmas. This is what happens when all the festivities are done, when all the Christmas parties are done and the decorations are down and the presents have been opened and they've been put away and we've got all the lights down now and we've cleaned up and you can't even tell it's been Christmas. What happens to the spirit of Christmas? Because we don't need to keep the spirit of Christmas. We need to keep the spirit of Christ. Because the spirit of Christmas will be over just a few days after December 25th. The spirit of Christ is eternal. So keep the spirit of Christ. So now my introduction is over with. I can start preaching. I'll wrap everything up in this one verse. This is the wrapping. They're going to put it up on the screen. You can open it up in your Bible. You probably don't need to. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How do I wrap up the entire Christmas miracle in one verse? John 3, 16. First part is this. He loved us. We all need love. There ain't a person on the face of the earth that does not need to be loved. It, we are ingrained in that. It is wired in our DNA. We need, we long for love. There is an emptiness inside of us that can only be filled by love. And to think that God, the creator of the universe, 
loved us with that agape love love that is described by God coming down to man in the form of Jesus Christ first thing is this he loved us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son part two of that is the gift I heard a story of a man his parents lived away from him and he was going to send him a Christmas present so he sent him an iPad with this note welcome to the 21st century so they opened it they was all excited they heard about all these things and they opened it and they charged it up and it was, they got it and they was getting ready to use it and they could not figure out how to use it and they read the directions over and over and over again and they could not for the life of them get it to work so they simply took it and they set it on the shelf about two weeks later they were entertaining some friends and their friends noticed said, oh, I see you have an iPad. They said, yes, and my son sent that to us. She said, the, the stupid thing, we never could get it to work. And she said, well, did you read the directions? She said, the problem was not we needed more directions. The problem was we needed our son to come with the gift. We didn't need any more directions. The Old Testament is full of directions of how you get to God. We didn't need any more directions. What we needed was the Son to come with the gift. We need to realize that Jesus Christ in this world overlooks, they see Christmas, but they never see Christ. They overlook the historic fact that Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth. The world believes that Jesus Christ is nothing more than the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, a mythical character. There is history that tells us that Jesus Christ walked the face of this earth. So you can either say Jesus is who he said he was or Jesus was a lunatic. I don't ever want to hear anybody say, well, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a good this, good that. Either he was who he said he was or he was a lunatic because he said he was the son of God. He said he came to take away the sins of the world. He said that he was going to die and three days later rise again. He said he's coming back as king and kings and lord of lords. So either he is who he said he is or he's crazy. I read a study, blew my mind, of the prophecies, the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. There are over 400 messianic prophecies. That's prophecies that deal with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming. And they did a scientific study. The odds of not the 450 prophecies being fulfilled by one man, they took eight, eight prophecies. And the odds of one man fulfilling eight different prophetic prophecies. And the odds were this. The odds were one, and I thought maybe one in a million, one in ten million, one in a quadrillion. You don't know what a quadrillion is, Google it. Because I'm not sure I know what it is. It's a lot. I want to get you a visual of what a quadrillion is and the odds of one man fulfilling only eight prophetic messianic prophecies. They said, take a silver dollar and mark one. And then you take a quadrillion of them and you start laying them out over the surface of the state of Texas. When you lay out a quadrillion silver dollars over the state of Texas, it will be two foot deep. 
that's a quadrillion. Now the odds of one man fulfilling eight prophecies is one in that quadrillion. So you stack those silver dollars over the state of Texas, two foot deep. You go in there and you find that one marked silver dollar. That's the odds. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies, over 400 of them. The gift of grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is my favorite part. That whosoever, that whosoever will. That means everybody. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've messed up. How far you think you are away from God. The Bible says whosoever. And that's the news we need to get out. That's the news that people are missing. Because we portray Christianity a lot of times like it's a private club. It is absolutely not a private club. It is whosoever. I read a story a little while ago about the Wright brothers. First ones to fly. And they built this, this flying machine is what they called it. And they built this thing. And after hundreds and hundreds of attempts, they finally got it off the ground. And they flew 120 feet in the air. When they got done, they sent a telegram to their sister in their hometown. We have flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. That was all the telegram said. She grabs it. She takes it to the local newspaper. She says, I want this printed. And the newspaper guy looked at it, the editor, and he said, huh, that's nice. The boys are coming home for Christmas. And he misses the fact that man has flown. And we say, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas all year long. And the world misses the fact that Christ has come down from heaven to save man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. And here's the promise. The fourth thing. Should not perish but have everlasting life. This world spends all of its time and all of its money trying to delay the inevitable. You see, on TV, all you see is diet plans and exercise machines and prescription drug medicines and all these different things that's going to keep you young, that's going to keep you healthy, that's going to keep you going. And you know what's going to happen at the end of the time? You're still going to die. Delaying the inevitable. They look for life, and, and they know, they know they're not going to live forever. And they overlook the one thing that will allow them to live forever. This is what the world is looking for. What is the Christmas miracle? What is the great message of Christmas? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, everything needed to make it to heaven has already been done. All you have to do is accept it. 
What a great Christmas present to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What a great present for somebody to see somebody in their family saved around Christmas time. That is the Christmas miracle. That man as lowly and worldly as we are could be saved. That God can look also on us and not see us and see his son. And I, I never understood that. I never understood how God could see us and all the things that we've done and see his son in our place. And God has used my children numerous times. I, I told earlier that they used, uh, God used my children to show me what grace was. He also used my children to explain this to me. Because I, I am a very patient person. When I, I deal with people, I have no problem at all being patient with people. I, I love kids. I love babies and, and little kids and the, the terrible twos. I love them all. Patient with all of them. But most of my life, you put me behind the wheel of a car, and I absolutely lose my mind. I want to get from point A to point B, and I want to get there without any problems. I don't want nobody getting in my way and slowing me down. And, and just I always had a problem with patience. Until recently. Now, I wasn't completely healed of this. I still have my moments. But God showed me something. And it was in the way I drive. And it started with my children when they started to drive. And I began to see everybody in every other car around me as if they were my children. Somebody cuts me off. I'm like, well, maybe what if that was Haley? And I just back off and I slow down. I don't hit my horn. I don't scream. I don't holler. I just slow down. Somebody sitting at a red light too long. It turns green and they just sit there, twiddle their thumbs. And I, I say this out loud all the time. Uh, I said, please don't make me honk at you. Please drive so I don't have to honk at you. And I started that when my kids started to drive because I, I saw everyone else as if they were my children in that car. How would I treat my children if they were driving that car? And I'd back off and I'd calm down and I'd breathe and everything was fine. And God showed me that's how I am with you. You mess up, you do something silly, something goofy, something you ain't supposed to do, get into a mess that you ain't supposed to be in. And I look at you and I see Jesus. Most importantly, when it comes time to judge me, he will not see all the past I have done. He will simply see the blood of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask you this this morning. Are you saved? Have you been born again? Is there a time in your life where you've come to a place and said, God, please forgive me. Come into my heart and my life. Save my soul. Because if there hasn't, that's what the Christmas miracle is all about. That's why we're here. That's why we've been praying. And somebody will walk through that door not knowing Christ. And they would leave knowing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, having their sins forgiven, all their past washed away. You have not gone too far. You have not done too much. There is nothing that God can't pull you out of. 
If you're here this morning and you need that Christmas miracle, why don't you pray? Why don't you come? I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. I'm going to go a step further. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you simply say this, I'm, I'm not saved, I know I need to be saved, and I would like for you to pray for me. I ask you to put your hand up, put it right back down. No one's looking around, no one's going to see you but me. I know I need to be saved, and I, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to pull at you, I'm not going to come to you. I am simply going to pray for you. Anyone in the building, before I pray, I know I need to be prayed. I know I need to be saved. God bless that hand. Anyone else? I know I need to be saved, and I want you to pray for me. All right, all those that are saved, I ask you this. If you have somebody in your family, friends, co-workers that aren't saved, you'd like to see them saved this Christmas, put your hand up, put it right back down. God bless you. Hands all over the building. There's somebody in my life that I want to see saved. There's somebody on my heart. I want them to be saved. Let's pray like we never have before this year. The last few weeks we have, if they come to Christ. Let's show them the Christmas miracle. Father, we're so thankful for this day, for all the blessings of life you've given us, for how good you've been to us, Father. Father, I'm thankful for this Christmas season, this Christmas message that we've had, Father, the miracle of you coming down to earth, the creator of the universe being wrapped in human flesh to redeem sinful man. I pray, Father, for those that are here that do not know you, Father, that know they need a Savior. I pray before it's everlasting. I pray for before this day is over with that they seek out somebody, me or anyone else, and they ask how to be saved before it's everlasting too late. Give them the strength. Give them the courage, Father. Help them to step out in faith to give their life to you. And for all those hands that went up, for all the people we have in our lives that, that don't know you, that are far away from you, that are even so close, pray a special blessing that this year, 2018, we'll see them saved. Draw them by the Holy Spirit to a redeeming power. We ask us all in your sweet and holy name. Amen. Like the ushers come just now, if they would. Take up our morning tithes and offerings. Brother Travis, would you ask the blessing, please?